Hey folks, Andy Patton here, the second Gonzaga player to officially declare for the 2022 NBA Draft was small forward Julian Strother on Monday, his 20th birthday. Julian could still return to Gonzaga. He did not hire an, an agent that is not NCAA approved. We're going to talk all about that while also reviewing his second season in Spokane in the next installment of our Season in Review series right here on the Locked on Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag Athletics. I also want to thank all of you who make Locked On Zags your first listen every day. I know it's the off-season. I know we don't have games to recap, but I still appreciate every single one of you who continues to listen to Locked On Zags. And, of course, those of you who have checked the show out on YouTube. It is growing very quickly. It has been so, so, so exciting to see that channel continue to grow as the season went on and still continue to grow into the off-season. We are approaching 600 subscribers. The goal is 1,000. We are well on our way. So if you've listened to the show, you're currently listening to the show, please go to YouTube.com, search Locked On Zags, and hit that subscribe button. Really, really appreciate it. Today is, I believe, the 7th in our season in review series, talking about every player on the Gonzaga Bulldogs roster from last season, giving an overview of how their season went and their history up to that point. And then in the second segment, looking at the best and worst case scenarios that I laid out for each player before the year, talking about where they fell on that spectrum. And then finally, in the third segment, discussing their future in Spokane or in some cases, their future not in Spokane and what that means for Gonzaga. Today's episode was supposed to be about Anton Watson. I have notes for every single day of the week, and I kind of start populating them throughout the week to discuss each player. Tuesday was Anton Watson. That was the plan. Strother wasn't going to happen till next week, but... Julian announced on Monday on Twitter that he is declaring for the NBA draft. We're going to talk more about that in the third segment, but it made sense for us to then discuss him for today's episode since he is the talk of the town in Spokane right now. So, looking at his history, Strother was the second member of the infamous Tricky Trio to commit to Gonzaga. He joined the Zags on April 18th, 2019, after Dominic Harris, before the very big and exciting commitment of Jalen Suggs. Strother was ranked 62nd in his class in the ESPN Top 100. He was 79th at 24-7. We saw him kind of rise up the rankings as his high school career went on. I think he's a bit misranked, certainly, as a player who was probably a top 30 or so player in his class just based on talent alone, but wasn't ranked there by the time he came to Gonzaga. Didn't see a lot of minutes as a true freshman. Uh, He played 25 games, played about seven and a half minutes per night. So he was like just outside the rotation, but he played pretty regularly. So he was kind of right on the cusp of being an actual rotation player, but he was buried behind Corey Kispert, who obviously played well over 30 minutes per night as a senior on that team with Joel Iai and Jalen Suggs and everybody else who was on that roster. Uh, he, he had a very solid season, though. We saw him kind of get better as the year went on. He had nine points against Norfolk State in the NCAA tournament. Uh, there was a lot of indication that he was going to step into a much bigger role as a sophomore. That was 
could not have been more of the actual truth for Julian. He's played 32 games for the Zags this past season, started 31 of them. The only one he did not start was senior night, played about 27 minutes per game. So about 20 more minutes per game than he played last year, without a doubt, a huge improvement for him. We saw him average just under 12 points per game, about five and a half rebounds per game, one assist. He shot just, just under 50% from the field, 66% on two-pointers and 36.5% from beyond the arc, one of Gonzaga's most consistent and reliable outside shooters for the vast majority of the season. Uh, He was frequently Gonzaga's best player. This was something that I think a lot of people who, certainly people who only tuned into Gonzaga during the NCAA tournament, where Julian quite notably struggled, or even people who only tuned into a handful of games and and heard about Chet Holmgren, heard about Drew Timmy, probably had heard about Andrew Nembhard. I don't think a lot of people realize, except for people who are really plugged into this program, how often Julian Strother was the best player on the floor or the highest, the leading scorer on the floor. He was Gonzaga's best player and not just in some bad games where Chet only played 18 minutes and the Zags won by 36 points. Like he wasn't just good in those games. He was often at his best in some of Gonzaga's highest profile games. He had 20 points and 10 rebounds, his second career double-double against Duke. One of Gonzaga's few losses during the regular season. He had 20 and 10 against the Blue Devils, one of the best offensive and defensive teams that Gonzaga faced all season long. And Julian went out and put up a monster game, 8 of 16 from the field in that one. He also had 20 points on 7 of 10 shooting against BYU the first time they played each other. And he followed that up with 19 points and 5 rebounds the second time they played each other. He was a (laughs) not Mark Pope's favorite player, certainly uh, for Gonzaga. He really did a lot of damage against the Cougars. He had that great game against Duke. Uh, But then what we kind of saw from Julian that was very notable and talked about very much throughout the NCAA tournament, he really, his his performance dipped down the stretch, whether it was fatigue, which is something we see somewhat frequently with players who are in their first real full season of college basketball. Obviously, this was his second year, but going from seven minutes in 25 games to 27 minutes in every single game is a pretty noticeable difference, so it's very possible that fatigue took place, especially when you consider the frenetic pace that Gonzaga plays at offensively. But he had under 10 points in five of his final eight games. And he only was under 10 points in six of his first 23 games. So that kind of gives you a sense of what happened to Julian down the stretch. He just disappeared a lot. In some of the games that Gonzaga really needed him to be around, in his final nine games of the season, he shot under 28% from three. Again, a guy who was 36% for the whole season, who was up until that point shooting just about 39% from three. All of a sudden, that drops under 30%. And then the really big kicker, the thing that everybody remembers about Julian, unfortunately, one for 14 from deep in the NCAA tournament. 14 three-pointers, not a lack of confidence, not a lack of, not afraid to continue to shoot, which I do not think he should have been. I don't think he was taking a lot of bad shots. They just were not going down. It was a very unfortunate time for Julian to slump as a shooter. Some people are going to say that he crumbled under pressure. Some people are going to say that he uh, is, it wasn't capable of playing against good opponents, which is flat out wrong, which is part of the reason I wanted to point out that he put up 20 and 10 against Duke because he's not somebody who only beat up on bad teams. That's a narrative that 
is often used by national reporters or people who don't follow Gonzaga, but is also one that I see parroted a lot by Gonzaga fans, which is something that's always frustrating to me is why do we use the arguments that a lot of other people use to bash us? We should not also use those arguments. Julian Strother is not somebody who only played well against bad opponents. He just happened to struggle. And again, there may have been some other factors at play, but he happened to struggle when Gonzaga really needed him not to struggle. And that is a bummer. And nobody feels worse about it than Julian. I promise you that he's thinking about those 13 misses a lot. But at the end of the day, the season finished up. Julian waited until his birthday, an incredible birthday gift to himself, getting to announce that he is declaring for the 2022 NBA draft. Report from Jim Meehan of the Spokesman Review says that he has hired NCAA-approved agents, which means he does have the opportunity to come back to Gonzaga. That decision does not have to be made until June 1st. So there's a lot of time that Julian has the opportunity to test out the NBA draft waters. We're going to talk a lot more about that, where we think he may potentially land next year, the odds of him coming back. That's all going to be discussed in the third segment. But first, we're going to get into the second segment, which is a look back at October of 2021, when I laid out the best and worst case scenarios in my head for where Julian Strother would land as a sophomore. We're going to explore what those may have been. Before we get there, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. The 2022 NCAA tournament is in the books with the win secured by Bill Self and the Jayhawks of Kansas. While the Zags unfortunately fell short of the game's pickle week, that does not mean fans cannot remain in on the action. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it, BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Heck, they even have lines on a fight between Will Smith and Chris Rock, should you be so inclined. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, segment two. Still Andy Patton, still locked on Zach, still talking all things Julian Strother, the man of the hour in Spokane after declaring for the NBA draft on Monday afternoon. We're going to look at the best and worst case scenarios that I laid out for Julian on the seventh episode that I hosted of the Locked on Zags podcast way back in October of 2021, uh, looking at what I thought were the best and worst case scenarios at the time and what ended up happening for Julian, the first best case scenario for Strother, that Julian takes over as the starting three and plays 25 to 30 minutes per night. Bang. We got that one right on the money. He started. He was the starting small forward. He played 27 minutes per night right in that range. This was what we'd hoped to see him do as a sophomore. We'd hoped that that development train was working behind the scenes his freshman year and that he'd be ready to step in and play a big role. And that absolutely occurred this season. Next up, best case scenario, the three-point shooting in the second half sticks and he's a 40 plus percent shooter. So not quite, not quite there. He shot just about 40% in the second half of his freshman year, obviously on a very small sample size. I mentioned that if he could shoot 39% on around 95 attempts, which is what Joel Ayayi did, that that would be huge. Strother took 148 attempts. So he was a much more volume shooter than Joel was. 
but he was a little lower than that. He was 36.5%. Again, he was 38.5% before the last nine games of the season. So for the majority of Gonzaga's season, he was roughly a 39% three-point shooter, which is fantastic. He just happened to slump down the stretch, which brought that average down a little bit. Best case scenario for Julian Strother is that he's not just a shooter. He can score at all three levels. Yeah, I think we saw some improved ability in that regard for Julian. He he was better at getting to the free throw line. He was he's an average three free throw shooter, about 70% this season, which is not bad. You could afford to see him shoot a little bit better from the free throw line, but he had more of an ability to get to the line. His floater game was pretty strong this year. His ability to finish around the rim was strong, even as a freshman was even stronger this year. I think he showed the as more in his bag than just being a standstill three-point shooter. He can do more than that, and that's going to help him tremendously, not just at Gonzaga should his Gonzaga career continue, but in the pros as well. Next up, he's an explosive athlete, and there's plenty of highlight reel plays. Not really a ton of this. I do think Strother is a very good athlete. I don't think it's a lack of athleticism. He just was. They have a lot of other guys who got out in transition quite a bit this season, including Roz Bolton, Hunter Salas, guys like that. And so Strother was more of a shooter than he was like an acrobatic highlight reel type player. But again, there was always a few of them, and there's the potential for there to be more of them uh, if his if his Gonzaga career continues as well. Next up, another factor for him is he's a true X factor and he allows Gonzaga to play the small ball lineups with him at the four. I talked about this so much before the season and into the season, and it just never happened. I don't know whether it was a lack of comfortability with Strother specifically handling the role, if it was more that Mark Few just felt really good about a three-man, big-man rotation between Chet Holmgren, Drew Timmy, and Anton Watson. Because even when Caden Perry got hurt, even when Ben Gregg got basically removed from the rotation entirely, the Zags did not play Julian Strother at the four. They always had two of those three guys on the floor between Watson, Holmgren, and Timmy. Perhaps it's because the Corey Kispert, while Corey was awesome in his senior year at Gonzaga, him playing the four certainly was a factor in the Baylor game and a factor in some of Gonzaga's other big physical games that season. So maybe Mark Few didn't want to risk the opportunity to have Strother playing the four in situations where they might run into some physicality and not be able to succeed. But we never saw it. We This was just not something that we saw at all this season. And then kind of on the same boat, I mentioned that a best case scenario would be that they can run in transition even more because of these smaller lineups. The Zags had no problem getting out in transition. That was not an issue for them at all. One of the fastest paced teams in the entire country, but it was not because Strother was playing the four. It was because Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy were, were willing to get out in transition and also were very good at outlet passes, which allowed Gonzaga to get out and run very quickly, regardless of who was playing the four or the five. And then next up, he makes it hard for the Zags to play three-guard lineups. The Zags did play plenty of three-guard lineups this past year. Uh, whenever Julian was not in the game, they never went with three big lineups. So if Julian was out, it was usually some it was some combination of Hickman, Salas, uh, Bolton, and Nempard. Three of those guys were on the floor at a time. So they did play plenty of three-guard lineups, uh, but they never played three-guard lineups with Julian at the four. The next couple best case scenarios, he's an all WCC performer and a candidate for the most improved player in the conference or the NCAA. So he was an all WCC honorable mention, which is a snub. He should have been higher than that based on his performance and his how important he was to Gonzaga's roster. I would say that he has an argument for being the WCC's most improved player. Jalen Williams from Santa Clara is 
probably the guy that you would have given that award to if uh, that award existed. Uh, so I don't think that he is necessarily the, the most improved player in the entire NCAA, but throughout most of the season, he was a player frequently talked about as like, hey, he's one of the most improved players in the country. So I think this, this one definitely came true for the most part. And then the final best case scenario is there's serious questions about whether he's going pro. Absolutely true. We're going to talk about that in the third segment. But first, let's look at some of the worst case scenarios we laid out before the season. Number one, he's a volume shooter, but the percentage doesn't tick up. So yeah, I mentioned that the worst case scenario is that he takes a bunch of threes, but he only shoots like 32 to 34%. Again, he was 36%, so better in the worst case scenario, not quite as good as the best case scenario. That's what you'd expect. When laying out best and worst case scenarios, you'd expect the player to fall in the middle on that spectrum. That was definitely the case with Julian here. Uh, worst case scenario for Strother is he doesn't have the confidence to take the ball to the rack and he gets lost in the shuffle. Confidence was not an issue for Julian Strother, not at any point in the year. I'm sure he was discouraged when he was struggling to make shots at the end of the season in the NCAA tournament, but it didn't stop him from shooting. And I respect that. I appreciated that. I did not think that he should just stop shooting. He needed to keep trying. He needed to, you know, he had open, if he was hacking up a bunch of contested threes, then yeah, we'd have had an issue, but he wasn't. He was taking good shots. The team had faith in him. They just weren't going down and that happens. And it's very frustrating when it happens. I know that, but I don't think that confidence was in any way, shape or form an issue for Julian Strother this season. Worst case scenario for Strother is he can't win a starting role and he's coming off the bench in a sea of other guards. Yep, not an issue here at all. He very quickly established himself not only as a starter for this team, but one of their most reliable scorers throughout the season. Worst case scenario is he doesn't play the small ball four role because Watson or Greg surpass him. Well, Watson was ahead of him uh, on the big man depth chart without a doubt. Greg never really was, but they just, like I said, they just didn't utilize Strother this way. It was something that I thought We'd see a fair amount of this year with three-guard lineup, Strother at the four, and we just didn't. We just didn't. Worst case scenario is it's realistic that he has a similar role from his freshman year. Not at all. <laughs> I'm very glad that this worst case scenario did not come true. Strother obviously tripled the number of minutes he played per game, or quadrupled them, excuse me, uh, while being one of Gonzaga's most reliable scorers throughout the entire season. And then last worst case scenario is that defense is a big area of concern, that he can't handle opposing guards or big men, and that he's going to need to be doing both. This was probably the area that I was the most impressed with Julian Strother this past year. He's a very good defensive player, and there was very little known about him defensively coming out of high school. He was always talked about for his offense. He's a bucket. He's a great scorer, blah, blah, blah. He scored 50 points in a game in Las Vegas. Uh, and then his freshman year, you know, play, only playing seven minutes per night, it was really hard to get any kind of read on how he was defensively. So coming into this year, that was a very legitimate concern is, is this dude just going to be like a revolving door defensively and guys are going to be scoring on him? Not at all. He had a 93.9 defensive rating, which is very, very good. A huge improvement from where he was as a freshman. Again, the, the sample size kind of makes that a little hard to compare straight across, but he was a good on-ball defensive player. He was tough. He was physical. He was very often asked to guard some of the most challenging players on the opposing team. Uh, this was a huge area of success for Julian, and I think if he comes back, which we're going to talk about in the third segment, uh, he could very well be one of Gonzaga's most relied-upon defensive players. All right, we're going to come back. In that third segment, we're going to look at Julian's recent declaration for the NBA draft, whether he's likely to come back or not, what it all means for Gonzaga, coming up right after this. All right, third segment, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, still talking all things 
Julian Strother, the Las Vegas native, just completed his sophomore season at Gonzaga. Was it his last? That is the big question on everybody's mind right now. Strother declared for the draft on the 18th of April. Like I said, it is his birthday. What an exciting time to get to make that kind of an announcement. I can't imagine being 20 years old and having that be the way that you get to celebrate is saying that you're declaring for the NBA draft. Again, as Jim Meehan of the Spokesman Review noted, this is Strother is hiring agents, but they are NCAA certified agents, which means he does have the ability to come back to Gonzaga should he choose to. This is the same decision that Drew Timmy made. It's very, very cool that the NCAA is allowing student-athletes to hire agents while still maintaining eligibility. This is a new thing that the NCAA has allowed thanks to NIL rules. It's very good. It's a, it's a good... I think every player should get the opportunity to find out what NBA scouts, general managers, coaches think of, think of them before making this decision. It was frankly ludicrous that they didn't have the ability to do that previously. I've always been shocked by that. The whole point of college athletics, the whole point of college period is to help people find jobs. The NCAA not letting student athletes talk to advisors, talk to agents of some capacity before making that decision was just completely opposite to that philosophy. Like you should be going out and trying to learn everything you can about your professional career coming up. And they were preventing them from doing that. So this this is why I've been a staunch advocate. Every single player in Gonzaga's roster who was in the rotation last year, I should clarify, who was in the rotation should declare for the NBA draft. Every single one of them should do it. Again, Martinez Arlauskas, Ben Gregg, Caden Perry because of the injury. Like, those guys probably don't need to do it. Uh, but everybody else, honestly, every single one of them should. If you have any aspirations of being an NBA player, if you have peaked on any mock draft, if there are scouts who have written your name down, why would you not go do this? It's you, There's no punishment. You don't even have to hire an agent at all, or you can still hire an agent and still come back. You get to go work out for teams. You get to display your skill set, maybe skills that don't show up on the Gonzaga basketball court. You get to show those skills in front of NBA scouts, general managers. They get to give you feedback. They might say, hey, look, we're we're worried about this. You know, with Drew, maybe it's, hey, we really need to know that you can knock down outside shots and that you can guard the pick and roll. With Julian, maybe it's, hey, we need to know that there's a little bit more in your bag besides just the outside shooting. You know, is there some playmaking in there? How are you going to defend the pick and roll? We view you as a small ball four. We actually view you as a three. All of that stuff. Julian should have that information. He should know what those teams, scouts, general managers, coaches, whatever, what they're thinking about him. This is the only way he gets to do that. And doing it while hiring an agent who can do some of that legwork for him, who can go talk to teams, who can get intel, who can provide him some information. All of this makes sense. I, I cannot think of a single reason why any player, and this includes Hunter Salas, this includes Nolan Hickman, this includes Anton Watson, why any of those guys wouldn't choose to do this. doesn't mean they're all leaving. I would be shocked if any of those three players left. Julian, I'm not sure on. I'm not sure. I, I was, I believe coming into this, and I think the last thing I said on this podcast was about 60-40. 60% coming back, 40% leaving. So him declaring for the NBA draft does not move the needle for me. I still feel 60% confident that he is returning to Gonzaga, 40% that he is leaving. That's pretty close to 50-50, so it's more or less a coin flip at this point. But this is, 
This announcement, yes, I know people like to read between the lines. They like to read the message. They thought, oh, it looks like he's really saying goodbye to Gonzaga. He never said goodbye. He never said anything like that. I understand that it's when you see an announcement like this, it's definitely hard to not think, hey, that guy's probably leaving. And he might be. He might be. I've seen a lot of mock drafts that have him on there. There was a lot of mock drafts before the season, during the season, after the season that have had him well within. You know, he's not going in the lottery. I've seen very few that have him late first. I think that would be pretty – he would have to really wow some teams during the um, during his workouts in order to get up to that high. But I think a second-round pick is very possible. In fact, I think if he were to stay in the draft, it's likely that he would get selected in the second round. Again, he could still opt to come back, work on his game. People like to use the Corey Kispert example, and while I think that we over-rely on the Corey Kispert example in this situation based on the kind of player that Julian is – it makes some sense for him to come back to have an even bigger share of the offense. You know, he's not going to be sharing the, the offensive duties with Chet Holmgren. He may not be sharing them with Drew Timmy. I think Andrew Nempard and Rasir Bolton are probably more score-first guards than Hunter Salas and Nolan Hickman, which means that Strother will be relied upon a little bit more offensively. He could come back. He could average 16 points per game. He could bump his three-point shooting up to 39 or 40 percent and probably work his way into being a, a more concrete first-round pick. I think all of that is very, very possible for Julian Strother, and I think he may make that decision. Like, I think that's very possible that he makes that decision. But if teams are saying, hey, man, we're looking at you in the 40, you know, 45 pick range, we're, we're really thinking we're going to take you there. It's pretty hard to turn that down. Your dream for your entire life is to play in the NBA. Now you've got multiple teams telling you, yeah, we're going to pick you. It's a risk. Of course, it's a risk. It's absolutely a risk. But so is coming back to school. What if you get hurt? What if you don't play as well? All of that stuff. So it's a risk both sides. I think it makes absolute sense to be doing this, to be checking this out. You've got six weeks of time before you have to make an actual decision. You could still return back to school at that point. Make another announcement. Say how happy you are to be back. Everybody's going to give you big hugs, welcome you back. Boom. No problem there. So I'm excited for Julian. I'm happy for him. He's a charismatic kid. He was so much fun to follow. He, I would love, love for him to be back. I think he would be primed for a very big year next year in a Gonzaga uniform should he decide to come back. But also I understand 1,000% why he has made the decision that he has made, and I would understand equally 1,000% if he does opt to keep his name in the NBA draft and go on and, and play professionally. All right, that is going to do it for me today. we got a lot more of these coming up this week. we got three more coming up this week. We're going to try to get through them all. Then we got so much more fun stuff continuing to come your way on Locked on Zags. The season is over, but we're still talking all things Gonzaga athletics on this podcast every single day, five days a week going forward. Podcast links will be available on Twitter. You can follow me at ScoreZagScore. You can follow the podcast at Locked on Zags. You can also find the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube as well. If you have not gone there, check it out. Go to YouTube.com, search Locked On Zags, find all of the shows there. Finally, thank you to those of you who have made Locked On Zags your first listen every day. Now is a great time to make your second listen the Locked On NBA Draft Podcast. With the college basketball season wrapping up, give Raphael Barlow and a flurry of guests a listen as they prepare for the NBA Draft. Hear thoughts on Chet Holmgren, Paolo Bancaro, and the rest of the NBA's future stars on Locked On NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags!